enjoy the adventure and it will be hard. You'll have friends that can do that homework faster and it will feel unfair. And it just, sometimes you're just like, why am I even doing this? And the reason why you're doing this is that there's so many amazing things to do with one's life. You gotta stick with it because then you will find the path that you should be on where the dyslexia actually benefits you in the work that you're doing. I'm Nicole Holcomb, attorney by day and podcaster by night, a former educator, school counselor, and administrator, and mom to a nine-year-old daughter with dyslexia, who loves all things Harry Potter, Minecraft, and science. A few years ago, she was identified with dyslexia, and our life seemed to turn upside down for a while, quite literally. I created the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast to help you navigate the upside-down journey of dyslexia. You got this. If you're wanting to thrive as a mom in this dyslexia journey, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast. You are listening to episode 27, Dyslexic Voices. And today I'm going to be having a conversation with Dr. Katherine Drennan. She is amazing. Let me just tell you that up front. She is a professor at MIT, but not only is she a professor, she also has dyslexia. And she is going to share with us her story today. And we're going to have a conversation about what it was like growing up dyslexic and how she overcame that. She still has dyslexia today, and she'll talk a little bit about that as well. But this is going to be so inspiring because at the end of the day, as I always say, this is a hard road. And although we know that there's going to be struggles along the way, Dr. Drennan is, you know, just an amazing adult who was able to find what she was passionate about and create an amazing career around it. So I'm so excited to have Dr. Drennan on the show to provide inspiration and also, you know, to share her personal journey. I think sometimes it helps to know that we're not alone on this journey. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation. All right. Today, I'm so excited to have Dr. Kathy Drennan with us on the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast. And thank you to everyone who's tuned in this week. I know you're going to enjoy the conversation that we're going to have today. And I'm just so excited to get started. So I'm just going to jump right in and, and welcome Dr. Drennan. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for the invitation. Well, we just are excited to, to have you with us and to learn more about your journey. It's such an inspiration to moms and to students who are, are struggling through this as well to have, you know, inspirational stories. And I so appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to, to talk to us and talk with us about your own personal journey. Do you mind just starting off by sharing a little bit about yourself as far as what you do currently for a job or a little background before we get into your journey? Sure. So I'm a professor um, at MIT, so uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I teach introductory biology to MIT undergraduates, and I also run a research group. So I have about uh, 15 members of my uh, of my lab, and we uh, investigate uh, the sort of uh, atomic world, uh, the molecular world, um, and try to figure out what protein molecules which are inside cells look like and how they function. And how long have you been doing that work? So I've been at MIT now for, for 21 years. Uh, so it's uh, quite some time. 
And I've been teaching that whole time. I actually started teaching introductory chemistry, which I did for 14 years. And in the last three years, I've sort of switched over and I'm teaching introductory biology. So I, I love I love teaching freshmen, but I've, the research we've been doing has been pretty constant over that uh, 20 year time period. Wow, that's amazing. So, and I know we'll talk a little bit in a few minutes about what how you got there, but that's amazing. I'm excited to hear about that. And so you enjoy working with the freshmen though, as far as them just coming in and having a new perspective and getting to kind of get them excited about biology and chemistry or, or what is it that you like about the freshmen? Absolutely. The, the freshmen are, they're, yes, they're very excited. And MIT, I think, is a really special place for, for those of you who, who don't know about it. It's a school that's really focused on science and engineering. And students come from all over the country and all over the world who are kind of, you know, a little bit science geeks. It is an intimidating, intimidating place to come to because you keep hearing about MIT, like, you know, Tony Stark, Iron Man, supposedly graduated from there. And so all these superheroes, like, you know, these genius kind of scientists or genius computer scientists. And so these freshmen arrive and they're like, well, you know, for my high school, I was good in science, but I have no idea, you know, how it's going to, how it's going to play out. And so I really love teaching the freshmen and helping them see that they do belong at MIT. And some of them have really strong backgrounds and some of them not so much um, in terms of the strength of their background, but they're smart and interested and curious are just fun. They're fun people. They're, they, they sort of, you know, they'll make fun of themselves a little and how geeky they are. And I just enjoy working with them so much, just being around smart people who check their egos at the door. There's sort of nothing better than that. Absolutely. I was going to ask you this later, but it may make sense to ask you now. So for me, I do have a nine-year-old who's very interested in, in science and says she wants to be a chemist. And she actually said, I want to go to MIT right about the time that I ran across your work. And I was like, oh, this is amazing that, it, that you know, that's the fate, you know, puts us together. But I was just curious for those of us that do have young children, who, you know, who are, you know, we'll get a little bit more in the dyslexia story in a few minutes. But, you know, those that are struggling but like math and science lights her up. Is there any, you know, any words of wisdom you would say to kids who are just, you know, they're struggling and they may not feel great about themselves, but they would love to go to an MIT, but they don't know if they're good enough. You know, kind yeah. of what you were just saying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there are, you know, besides myself, there are a number of faculty members at MIT who are dyslexic. So I am not the only one. And in terms of the number, uh, in terms of the undergraduate population, there are a large number of students with dyslexia and other um, learning disabilities, and we have we make accommodations for that. So it is not that unusual. We have, you know, I think the being dyslexia often goes with um, abilities in science and math, and so just just because you're you're diagnosed with you know learning differently than other people. There's nothing to restrict where you can go and what you can do with your career. Absolutely. And I always tell my daughter just to, you know, follow your passion because that's going to take them so much further than trying to shove themselves in a direction that they're not interested in, but they think that's how they should go. So I think it's so important for them to, you know, to find that passion and lean into it even early on. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. If you don't mind sharing your journey with, with the moms and telling us more about 
you know, how, how this all started for you, if you'll kind of take us back to the beginning. Yeah. So when I first started realizing that there was, uh, that I, there was something different about me and how I learned was in first grade. That's where we had reading groups for the first time. And I was an only child. And so, you know, my parents talked to me as if I was an adult. So I would come into first grade and I'd be aware of current events and I gravitated toward adults. So I'd go up to the teacher and start asking them questions about what they thought was happening in the world. And they thought, okay, here's this smart kid. And so they put me in the top reading group and I couldn't read. And so they kind of bumped me down like, okay, you know, we thought she'd be in the summer. Well, you know, it's okay. We'll bump her down and kept going, kept going. Uh, got to the very, very bottom reading group. And, uh, and I just, I just could not learn how to read. And so, you know, the teachers contacted my parents and my mom, my mom features prominently <laughs> in my personal story. Um, she, she was one to figure out what was going on because she said, you know, I believe my daughter is smart. And so I don't understand why she's having so much trouble learning to read. And so my mom started researching it and asking people and, and, you know, this was early enough uh, and, and sort of long enough ago that, you know, schools weren't set up to look for um, or evaluate kind of learning disabilities the way that they are now. So my mom really did the homework and she was able to get me diagnosed as dyslexic. Um, and that's sort of what, so it was first grade when it, when it began for me. And so how did it go from there? Were you able to get tutoring or were you able to get assistance? Cause I, I've, I've watched some of your stories. So I know that there's a pivotal point in sixth grade where you kind of take, you know, you kind of take on your own learning at that point. But talk to us about how you get from first grade to sixth grade, where you change the way you're approaching your own education. Yeah. So, so my mom did set me up with tutoring. My mom actually, she went back to school to learn about learning disabilities. So she got a master's degree, but tutoring me herself was not going to work. I think it's, <laughs> you know, if you find another mom, maybe who has a child with dyslexia and you train, because tutoring other people's kids is, is always is always better. I try to, I have a 12-year-old daughter right now. I keep trying to remind myself of, of that. So, so I had a tutor. I stayed in public school for second grade, but I just, you know, there'd be these times in, in, in the school where there was a reading assignment and I just was looking at these pages and I'm like, I just can't do anything with this. And I would just sit there and watch the clock because I was completely unable to do the work that was in front of me. And it was very stressful. And so my parents experimented. They moved me to a private school for a while that was like an open classroom. And so there was much less pressure to be able to sort of do particular assignments at, at particular times. You had more flexibility of what things you wanted to do. But I wasn't really learning enough in that environment. So then they put me in another private school. Um, and eventually I went back in by seventh grade back to public school. So I kind of have experienced multiple environments. When I switched from this open classroom school to another school, I redid sixth grade. So, you know, here I am uh, as this MIT professor who was left back in school. And so, you know, sometimes people ask like, oh, wow, you're a professor at MIT. You must be smart. And it's like, I don't know how to answer that question because most of the time, you know, I feel like smart is not associated with people who are left back in school. But the second time through sixth grade, 
it just clicked. And I had, you know, been constantly working. I loved books. I loved stories. I would read with my mom. She would read to me. I would read to her. I always liked it better when she read to me, but I loved stories and I kept working on it. And eventually I got to the point where I think I had memorized the shapes of enough words. I looked at the shape of a word and then I said, okay, that word means this and sounds like that. So I don't sound out words. I think the way that most people do, I have, I have memorized the connection between shape, meaning, and sound. And so like if a word is broken up on a page, there's a dash, I have to kind of imagine the word back together or I'll know what that word is. But I had gotten to the point where I had enough collective memories that uh, of these shapes that all of a sudden I could read. So it was just like, you know, it just clicked that repeating sixth grade, I was in the quote kind of remedial class, which of course the students refer to as dumb people class because, you know, kids can be sometimes not so nice. And then I, we moved locations, we moved our house and, and I went back to public school and no one in public school at that point knew that I was, you know, a remedial kid. And I had learned how to read. And so everyone was like, oh, she's the smart one. And that was sort of like, you know, my brain was like, wait a minute, who am I? <laughs> so it was this, yeah, just huge transition from, from being the kid in the remedial class to all of a sudden being the person being teased about being smart. And I wanted to ask you a question about that too, kind of a follow-up question, which is, you know, you had all these different experiences in school early on. So how did that impact how you felt about school? So you went from one extreme to the other. You know, how, how did that impact you as a student? I, I do think that the that it was impactful the way I, I think about teaching now and, and partly why I love being a teacher, because I feel like, you know, the connecting to individual students and helping them with their journey and everyone has something that is hard for them. Everyone does. I mean, some people, I think they don't find that kind of hard thing until later in life. They kind of cruise through. Sometimes, you know, it's those students at MIT, they're like, oh, you know, this is all easy. And then they get to MIT and they have one class and they're like, oh man, this is what people were talking about. Like when they said things were hard. Um, so everyone experiences that differently. And, you know, having the courage to kind of get through whatever that Thing is for you that is so hard. So I really do think about that. And the time in the sort of open classroom school, I, I think I, I realized about myself how much I did love learning. It wasn't that I didn't love learning. I just, I just couldn't read, but I loved information. And I, I had a friend, she's still a friend of mine, Amanda, I had decided that the teachers didn't assign us enough math. And I like math. Math was fun. It's like puzzles. Like who, why would you not want to do this all the time? This was really fun. And so I would assign her math homework because I didn't think the teachers were doing a good enough job. And so it's amazing. She stayed friends with me. What kind of person has a friend who assigns them homework? And so I think that, you know, people look back and I made this kind of grand discovery about myself sometime through college that I wanted to be a teacher and everyone was like, pretended to be shocked, like, really, you a teacher? We never, we never thought that you would be a teacher, the person assigning homework to their friends in second grade. It's like, you know, I, I was, this is clearly my destiny all along. So yeah, I, 
all of these experiences were shaped by our experiences, the good and the bad one. And it's sort of what we take away from those experiences is what makes us who we are. We can't avoid bad stuff happening to us, um, but we can, we can, we can handle what we do about it. Right, right. And that's the two things that so my background also is um, I used to be a school counselor and I would always tell, you know, the, the students and I tell the families I work with now that, you know, you, you can't control others, but you can control how you react and what you do with that. And the other piece you had just spoken to that I think really is at the center of a lot of the work I do with families and with moms is that relationships are so important, like the relationships at home the relationships that you do have with some teachers, like you said, they're good and bad experiences, but those relationships play such a large role in who we become and how we react to things. And it sounds like you, you feel that way too, as far as how you work with your students, that that relationship piece, because we know they're going to work so much harder if they have interest in it. And then they see that you have interest and passion in it. And then you're able to connect with the student on a different Absolutely. I, I agree. Relationships are so important. Having a support system, um, both by teachers, parents, siblings, friends, all of those relationships are so important. And I think, you know, just even one teacher who really believes that you just at the right stage of your career can make, have an enormous impact. And sometimes I get emails from teachers saying, you know, I have, I've been counseling a student or I'm teaching a student with dyslexia and, you know, they're interested in science. What should I tell them? And, you know, kind of wanting reassurance that, that this, this student that they care about is going to be okay. And a lot of times, you know, I respond about my story and I say, you know, if this student has you in their corner and that you're taking your time out to email me and get advice, that person's going to be just fine because it, it is, it's not, you don't have to change the world for people. You just have to be there and support them. And a lot of times it is the personal journey that they're making. I was learning, you know, I was learning how to read on my own, but I needed to keep going. I needed people to believe in me. And that was so critical. They didn't have to figure out some magic way for me to read. They just had to encourage me that I could do this. And that is so critical, so critical to have that support. Yes. And I appreciate you sharing that story too, because I know, you know, there's many times I get emails or I get, you know, direct messages on social and things like that, where moms are reaching out and they're just struggling. And I know it's not easy and it's not going to be easy. I mean, these school years are, are some of the toughest that I know my daughter will have to go through. And I'm sure you can share that as well from your, your perspective, but I tell them the fact that you're reaching out, the fact that you're listening to the podcast, the fact that you're seeking information, you're already on the right path, right? You're already on the right path. Yeah. You're doing everything you Absolutely. obviously care a lot about your child. And I know, um, you know, some of the reading, uh, the research and things I've read were saying that, you know, the child's not going to remember that you sat down and did second grade math work, but what they will remember is that you sat with them and that you were there with them and those relationships going into, you know, cause we want to have good relationships as our children grow up and become adults. And so, um, you know, we have to be mindful about how we respond as well, but I do think relationships, like you were saying in, in school and at home are just, you know, so crucial. Speaking of relationships, I, I recall when I watched your uh, Ted talk, you were talking about, 
you know, your experience in college and you kind of, you know, you kind of went on your own. You said, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm not really going to tell a lot of people about my dyslexia. But then you ran into a gentleman when you were getting ready to take your graduate exam as far as, uh, I'm sorry, like a graduate placement to get into an entrance. Well, let me go back. You were taking the um, GRE? Yeah, GRE, the graduate record exams. Yeah. I don't, well, I've taken it, but I obviously completely lost my mind for a moment. So when you were preparing to take your graduate entrance exams, because you had decided I'm going to go for it, I'm going to go to grad school you met a gentleman that was quite interesting that was part of that process. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, so during during college, I was very insecure about letting people know about my dyslexia because I didn't want people to say, oh, she's good for a dyslexic person. I just wanted to be, you know, she's good. She's a good student. She's a good chemist. And I, I, I encourage everyone that if you can get extra time and things like that, you should take it you know, I think there is, there's much less of a stigma and it is, it's just, it's just so, it's so much harder not to do those things. But anyway, I was not, not mature enough. Um, I admit that. But then when I was going to apply to grad school, you know, I just felt like on the standardized tests, I just could not compete at the right level. So either, you know, I was going to have trouble getting into grad school because my test scores were bad or I was going to have trouble because my test scores would be okay, but it would have be flagged that I got extra time because I was dyslexic. And I decided partly because I, I was teaching high school at the time that I was encouraging all my students to not hide, hide disabilities, just say, this is who I am. Um, that I was like, okay, I have to be well-behaved now and say, I am dyslexic and what that meant. So I did that. I was taking, I was I was going to take it over the summer. I was teaching high school during the year. So summer was a good time to take the exams and prepare for them. And I was also a summer camp counselor at the time. So I was in the Pocono Mountains in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And um, I had to look up where there was a college that I could take the exams near the summer camp and get a day off. Um, and so I went into this, uh, to this college and there was a professor who was getting paid extra to proctor me. I was the only person with extra time. I don't think there were many people there, period, but I was definitely the only one with extra time. And so he came in, he was chatting with me first, and he was trying to be really nice. He said, you shouldn't get too discouraged. He said, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone, you know, who's dyslexic, who is in grad school, but, you know, there might be a grad school that might take you. It's possible. You know, you, you, you shouldn't be too discouraged. He said, there, you know, there, there might be a program for a person like you. And this is sort of the first time that I, it's like a person like me, like what, what, what is it, a, a person like me? Um, and at the time I just, I kind of nodded my head and I, but I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm going to go to a really good grad school <laughs> and I'm going to do really well. And I really wish I had asked his name and sent him a little letter, like maybe when I got my job at MIT and sent him a little letter and goes, this is what happens with people like me. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that story, because I know that there's still, you know, even bumps in the road as as we grow and we get older and we're still in college or grad school or jobs. 
it, it still bumps in the road, right? As far as what people understand about dyslexia and what it really means. And so I appreciate you sharing that story. So after you finished that exam and went on to graduate school, you ran into some incredible women that you worked with and again, built some really uh, amazing relationships that if I, if I believe I cr remember correctly, that led to MIT. Could you share a little bit about that story? Yes. So, you know, in, I was applying to graduate school from teaching high school. And so I applied to places kind of that I could get to visit in a short amount of time and come back. And when I went to the University of Michigan to visit, um, I met Martha Ludwig, who I ended up um, working for in grad school. And I just met her and I felt like this is someone who I could learn a lot from. I just, it just felt, uh, she just talked to me as if she was talking to a peer. And I just felt like the sort of mutual respect that was there and that she would care about me and care about my future. And that just seemed, you know, it, and she was sort of the only one doing research in the area that I was interested in at the university at the time. And, you know, we all tell people about picking grad school, like make sure there's at least three faculty members that you, you want to work for before you decide to go there because you might not get your first choice. So um, I did not do that. I was just like met her and said, I want to work for Martha Ludwig. That's what I wanted to do. And I went to Michigan, very lucky. She took me into her lab and I was just, I was really right about that. And, you know, I, I tell everyone, you know, it, life is hard enough, work for nice people, work for people who are going to support you and care for you. And, you know, some people at the time said, well, you know, you know, she was a little bit older and, you know, her research program maybe wasn't viewed as the most cutting edge at the time. And I was like, no, I'm going to learn from her and I'm going to have a good experience. And that's what's important to me. And the work I ended up doing in her lab got a high profile paper, which got me a high profile talk, which got me invited to interview at MIT. I didn't actually apply. I mean, what kind of crazy dyslexic person would apply for a job at MIT? They invited me to apply. And I just thought, oh, this will be fun. I'll interview at MIT. They'll never hire me, but I'll have, I can tell everyone about the day I interviewed for a faculty position at MIT. It'll be a great story. Um, but then they did offer me a job and um, I, have, I have been there ever since. So, you know, it was just the most wonderful career path I could have taken, but I chose it because I felt like I will have a good time in this lab. I will learn a lot and I'll do good work. And that's really what's important to have that positive experience to be supported. Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was a great choice on my part. And uh, she has since passed away of colon cancer, but working with her was just absolutely amazing. And I also got to know uh, a cl the collaborator, Rowena Matthews, just an incredible role model as well. So I had these two amazing women who, who really helped mentor me and get me to the point where um, I was ready to be a professor. Well, and, and again, it seems like the theme of the day is relationships because, you know, as you seek, even like you were saying, you know, seeking out those people, you know, it, you may run across them in your life, but you, you made a point of actually seeking them out as well to, to further your interest. And so that's really amazing that, and I think an inspiration for people to, to be thinking about, you don't just have to wait to bump into these people. You know, you can actually reach out and, and make things happen or choose programs where you're exposed to 
you know, maybe it's a summer camp or whatever that's got a, a you know amazing program or particular people that you want to be around. So that's a, a very, you know, very timely story. So I appreciate you sharing that with us as well. So as, as I think about, you know, so many people that reach out to me, you know, their children really are struggling and they're really struggling with how to best help them and their self-esteem is low. And, and they say, you know, I know y'all say it's a gift to be dyslexic, but I don't like, it doesn't feel like a gift right now. And so let's start there first. What, I mean, what advice would you give to students? You gave a little bit earlier about, you know, if you're passionate about math and science, but what if I'm, I'm just kind of, I find out I'm dyslexic and I don't really know. I just, I just want to give up. I mean, what type of advice have you provided to, um, you know, to students in the past or what would you provide today as far as just, you know, something to be thinking about? Because it sounds like for you, I mean, you didn't start out in first grade saying, I'm going to go work at MIT, right? <laughs> that just developed as your love of science and math developed and you just had an incredible opportunity and now you've been there 20 plus years. So that's amazing. So what advice would you give to students? Um, let's say like K through 12, what would you give uh, as far as just, um, you know, just advice in general on, on following their heart and following their passions and, and not giving up? Yeah, you know, I, a number of people with dyslexic like math and science, but not everyone. And I've met people with dyslexia who are artists, who are politicians, um, who are historians. I mean, there, there's a wide variety of, of professions that people seek out. And yeah, finding your passion and trying new things. And you never really know what experiences are going to be the most uh, informative about where you belong. And I learned so much from being a summer camp counselor. And I sort of feel like everyone should do that at some point in their life. It's a really good experience. And it it's, yeah, the journeys that people have, and there isn't sort of one journey. And I think this is, this is an important thing to recognize because, you know, you might be slower at some parts of the journey or have to repeat a grade and you feel like I'm not on that trajectory to success. And people assume that, you know, someone who is very successful in their profession is probably successful at every single stage of that. You know, they always got A's in school and they always got the fellowship and they always got this and they always got that. But we see so many examples where that is not true. And, you know, we can see them in sports too, where someone is like, you know, famous quarterback professionally who wasn't even a starter on their high school team. You know, the people's paths are different. It's not, it's not, there's not one path to success. And if you're a little bit different in the way you learn um, and the way you do things, it doesn't rule you out. You're just on a different path and your path will, you know, may end up taking you to a place that you know you want to go from early on, or it might go somewhere else. I mean, when I was in high school, I was very interested in science, but I also loved theater. I loved acting. And I went to Vassar College, um, partly because they had a good theater program. And um, I also thought science was cool and biology. I did not like chemistry, actually, out of high school. I did not like it. And, you know, I am a chemistry professor now, <laughs> taught chemistry for 14 years, did not like chemistry, complained bitterly when they told me I had to take chemistry. And then when I took it in college, I fell in love with it. I also taught, 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 took a lot of theater classes in college 
Um, and so, you know, if you had asked me when I was studying theater at Vassar College, do I, did I think I was going to be a chemistry professor at MIT? You just have no idea where life is going to take you. And so just have a good time, learn things, engage, do things that are of value. You know, I, I, it's so important and there's so much going on that's bad in the world right now to be thinking about how am I going to contribute to making the world a better place? You know, being surround people around people who will support you and doing interesting and important work. And, and just follow that path, follow the adventure. Your life's an adventure. There is no statistics for someone like you. You are like you and you are the only one. So you can make whatever statistic for yourself that you want to make and find that passion. And it may come now in high school and elementary school and middle school. It might not be to college till someone forces you to take a class that you do not want to take. Then you'll be like, oh, okay, this is now the path that I'm on. So yeah, enjoy the adventure and it will be hard. It will be harder and you will have friends. You know, you'll have friends that can do that homework faster and it will feel unfair. And it just, sometimes you're just like, why am I even doing this? And the reason why you're doing this is that there's so many amazing things to do with one's life and you just stick with it until you find how to get around it until you turn something that can be a disadvantage in, let's be honest, it's a disadvantage, um, but you got to stick with it because then you will find the path that you should be on where the dyslexia actually benefits you in the work that you're doing, where learning how to cope with it is what makes you special. So get through that rough time because let me tell you, it gets so much better, so much better. Thank you. All right, so we're going to switch gears and let me ask you this, this follow-up question, which is for our moms out there that are listening, who are right there, you know, in the struggle with their child, wanting to do everything that they can, what advice would you give to moms who are raising children with dyslexia? To believe um, that your child is capable of doing amazing things and that you can't fix everything for them, even though you want to. And as a mom, I can tell you how much I just want to jump in there and make it all better and fix the situation. One can't do that. You can only be supportive and caring and believe. And if the child knows how much the parents believe in their ability, th that, that matters a lot. So you just have to be patient and supportive. And it is so hard. <laughs> It's so hard not to be able to just fix things, <laughs> but that you just, you just have to just have to stand back and be, and be supportive and be there and, and love. That's, that's what you have to do and just keep at it. Patience. I feel you. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let me ask you a question, which is uh, what is the, and that doesn't have to be dyslexia uh, focused, but what's the best uh, advice you've received as a mom? So one thing that's a, a little different about my situation. So I became a mom through adoption and it is, it's very interesting to me. Like the first, the sort of first time um, I, I, I went to pick my daughter up 
and she was playing dodgeball, I think I like broke out into a sweat going, you know, the trauma of me, the geeky kid, I was always like, they were always throwing the dodgeballs at me. And I was terrible at sports. I'd be like the last kid picked for any sport thing in school. It was always like, oh, who has to have caffeine on their team? And so I, I showed up at, to pick her up and there was dodgeball going and I just wanted to pull her out and go, it's going to be okay. I'm so sorry. There was dodgeball. I'm so sorry. And she just came running. She says, I don't want to leave yet. We're playing dodgeball. It's my favorite. And I just thought, you know, partly because, you know, she has different genes than I do. I was like, oh, maybe she's good at dodgeball. Like maybe she's the kid that's not going to be picked last. And I realized that, you know, we're, we're not clones of each other, parents and kids. So people who, you know, is their biological child, you don't really know what they're going to be good with on and what they're going to struggle with and to not impose your fears on them and what they think they can do. Because I've seen this sometimes where it's like, oh, you know, don't sign up for sports. That's highly traumatic, right? You'll be picked last. Like, no, your kid might be picked first. You don't know that. Let them go. Don't warn them that this might be terrible. <laughs> Let them figure out whether they like it on their own. So I think that's really good parenting advice. Sometimes to stand back and say, don't, don't place your, your fears on your children. Let them figure out the world and stand back. Be there to be supportive if they are picked last, but let them adventure. Let them be bold enough to adventure out there and they may discover things that you never thought that anyone related to you might like. <laughs> I think that's a great, great advice. I appreciate that. Well, Kathy, I have so enjoyed talking with you today. I'm so honored that you took some time out of your day to be with us. And thank you so much for, you know, just being open and sharing your journey with so many. And it, you know, it really does make such an impact for for moms to be able to share stories with their children and to be able to share success stories, because I think those are the things that get us through the day. And, you know, it, it continues to be hard even as adult, I'm sure. But, you know, just the fact that you, you keep going every day and you're, you know, following your passion and you're loving what you're doing. And that, that to me is all we could ever wish for our kids is for them to find what they're passionate about and to follow their heart. And, and, and you know, and, and enjoy what they're doing. And so I can see that in you that you're, you know, absolutely after 20 plus years at MIT that you're still enjoying the work. And I just appreciate, you know, that, you know, there are some that don't want to speak out. And so I do appreciate that, that you're willing to do that and, and, uh, and have a voice in the journey and, and to, you know, and just to share your advice with us. So we so appreciate that. And, and thank you again. Well, thank you for uh, organizing this uh, interview and also for having this podcast. I think it's just, it is so important to hear from other people who are going through similar things. And so thank you for doing this. Yes, thank you. And just one last thing. I know so often um, people will say, you know, I just feel so alone in this journey, even with all the resources out there. So again, I think that's why it's so important to be able to hear voices of real people saying, this is my experience. And although everybody does have a unique path, no matter what path anyone's on, it's all unique, you know, that they're, don't give up on us, you know, don't give up on your kids. And so I do appreciate um, you taking time to talk with us. So thank you for that. Thank you again. 
Thank you for listening. I enjoyed our conversation a lot, and I'm so glad that you were able to hear all the wonderful things that Dr. Drennan shared with us today. So if you would like to get today's show notes, please go over to dyslexiamomlife.com backslash episode 27. That's 27. And also, if you enjoyed today's show, I'd love for you just to stop where you are. Hopefully, you're not driving. But if you, when you get to your destination, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to share this episode. There should be a link in wherever you listen to your podcast that will allow you to share an episode out on social media, through email, however you see fit. But I would love for you to share this episode or any other episodes that you really enjoyed and that you would love to share with your family and your friends. Hey, maybe even your spouse. So I appreciate it. Take care. And I'll be right back here next Monday to walk right along the journey with you. Remember, have a great week and you got this.